No. I have it for Sunday. For next Sunday. You have communion for this Sunday? But this isn't the first Sunday of the month. This is the last Sunday of the month. Yeah. Um, right, okay. Yeah, no Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so as soon as soon as, uh, as, soon as you hit, you and Tammy are going to do as best you can to hit record together. But it's never, it's never. Okay. Morning, everybody. The Pastor Phil here, back in uh, back in the building, and uh, we're getting ready to have our Sunday morning service. And so, welcome to you all. So good to see. Good to, I can't see you, but so good to have you. Um, and so, as always, I have a couple announcements before we get into the worship and then the word. So, uh, we have our, our website at nlicedarcreek.org, and uh, you can find everything that you need to pertaining to the church there. You can also uh, find our, our link to our YouTube page, and please hit subscribe when you get there. If you're, and you can also uh, get to Facebook from there. Please like the page, and that way it'll help us to connect with you, um, and it'll also help you to know when we do things. Uh, also, since we talked about Facebook, we have our Wednesday night live service that we've been doing at 6 p.m. Uh, Central Time, and uh, that's been going really well. We've had a, a couple guest speakers while Tim's been recovering, and they've they've all they've had very relevant words, uh, very timely messages for us. Um, so then, uh, moving on for our giving, we have three ways to give now. Which one is text, and the number should be on the screen there. And then we also, you, you can also click on the, the link in this video description to give online. You can also give online on the church's website. And then there's always giving by mail. So that's all those things that, uh, that we have to talk about before we get into prayer and worship. So let's, let's get into the good part, amen? Father, we ask that you would uh, surround us in your presence, Lord, as we get ready to worship you, get ready to honor you, with the voices that you have given us, Lord. And so I thank you, Father, and I just, I, we, we praise you, and we seek you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, if we could take that volume down. Praise God. God, my God, I cry out. Your beloved needs you now. God, be near, calm my fear, and take my doubt. Your kindness is what pulls me up, and your love is all that draws me in. I will lift my eyes to the Maker, of the mountains I can climb. I will lift my eyes to the calmer of the oceans raging wild. I will lift my eyes to the healer of the hurt I hold inside. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. My God, let mercy sing 
a melody over me. God right here is all I bring. And take my doubt, your kindness in. What pulls me up in your love is all that draws me in. I will lift my eyes to the maker of the mountains I can climb. I will lift my eyes to the calmer of the ocean's raging wild. I will lift my eyes to the healer of the hurt I hold inside. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. So hold me now. I will lift my eyes to the maker of the mountains I can find. I will lift my eyes to the calmer of the ocean's raging wild. I will lift my eyes to the healer of the hurt I hold inside. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes. I will lift my eyes to the maker of the mountains I can climb. I will lift my eyes to the calmer of the ocean's raging wild. I will lift my eyes to the healer of the hurt I hold inside. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. I will lift my eyes to the maker, to the maker of the mountains I can climb. I will lift my eyes to the calmer of the ocean's raging wild. I will lift my eyes to the healer of the hurt I hold inside. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you, Lord. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. Thank you, Lord. For we trust in our God. 
and through his unfailing love we will not be shaken we will not be shaken we will not be shaken Though the battle rages, we will stand and fight. Though the armies rise up against us on all sides, we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken.
We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. All those against him will fall. Our God is stronger. He can do all things. No higher name we can call. Jesus is greater. He can do all things. No higher name we can call. Jesus is greater. He can do all things. Although all those against him will fall. Our God is stronger. He can do all things. Oh, no higher name we can call. Jesus is greater. He can do all things. For we trust in our We will not be shaken. 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 Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hmm. We look to you for the miracle, Father. We look to you for the change. We seek your face, Lord. And we watch your hand. Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loose. God, we believe it. Yes, we can see that signs are still what you do. 
and bodies are still being raised and giants are still being slain God we believe and yes we can see that wonders are still what you do we are here for you Jesus do what you we are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. We set our hearts on you, Jesus, do what you do, because we need your move. We need your move. Cause we need your move, Lord. Cause we need your move. Christ is still saving souls astray. And he is still healing the lame. God, we believe. Yes, we can see it. Miracles are still what you do. We are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. We are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. We set our hearts on you, Jesus, do what you do. We need your move. We need your move. We are here for you. Jesus, do what you do. Lord, we are here for you. Jesus, do what you do. We set our hearts on you, Jesus, do what you do, because we need your move. Oh, we need your move. We need your move. We need your move. Miracles happen when you move. Healing is present in this room. Miracles happen when you move. Heaven is here. Miracles happen when you move. Healing is present in this room. Miracles happen. When you move, heaven is here. Oh, this is your move. Oh, this is a move. This is a move. Oh, this is a move, Lord. Everything. Oh. 
Christ is still, Christ is still saving souls astray, and He is still healing the lame. God, we believe, and yes, we can see that miracles are still what you do. We are here for you. Jesus, do what you do. We are here for you. Jesus, do what you do. We set our hearts on you. Jesus, do what you do. And this is a move. This is a move. This is a move. This is a move. Oh. You know, a move of God is not always spectacular. The miraculous is not always huge, it's spectacular. But if it's something that could happen no other way than God, then it is a move of God. So this is a move. Some of you have been believing God for things for a long time. If it's something that God has said in His Word you can have, then just believe that you receive and just let it happen. This is His move. This is a move Cause this is a move of God This is a move 
say, we are here. We are here for you. Jesus, do what you do. We are here for you. Jesus, do what you do. Because this is your move. This is your move, Lord. This is a move. This is a move. Thank you, Lord. blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly trust in Jesus name my hope is built Nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ. Savior's love through the storm He is Lord Lord of all When darkness seems to hide His face I rest on His unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anger holds within the veil my anger holds within the veil Lord Christ In the Savior's love, through the storm, He 
in the Savior's love. In the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When He shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone. Faultless stand before the throne. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. Thank you, Lord. Lord, as we get ready to open the word together, I just ask once again that the word be pleasing to your ear, that you'd help me to bring it, and I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Testing, one, two, is this about right? So, wow, made a couple of mistakes there singing, but I guess, I guess as we get ready to eventually meet, start meeting back in buildings again, don't worry if you make a mistake when you're singing, you know, doesn't matter if the person next to you heard it or not. I mean, as long as you're singing to God, God doesn't mind. Amen. So, open our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5.
So just about every night, I, uh, I read two chapters out of the Bible to the, to the kids before bed. And, uh, you know, sometimes they bring up good questions. And sometimes I have to tell them, you know, I don't have an answer to that one. You're going to have to wait, you know, while I do some Bible study and I pray and I'll get back with you. And, you know, that's probably the best thing you can do when a person asks a question you don't know the answer to. Uh, other times, you know, the kids have asked a question that I didn't have the answer to. And as I'm sitting there in silence with no answer, God will suddenly give me the answer, you know, just come up in my spirit. And then, of course, I've examined that answer in light of the scripture that I know before I just blurted out the word said, test all things, amen, because we can all miss it sometimes. And then sometimes the kids will ask a question and we'll just have a discussion about it. And you can get some good things out of it by verbally processing it that way. And you can learn some things. And, you know, but I figured that if the kids can get some good training out of a couple chapters of the word, I figured that us adults can really dig into one chapter and get some stuff out of it. So the title of today's message is A Chapter in Matthew. And I did select this chapter prayerfully, um, this message prayerfully, because there's definitely a purpose in it. And uh, it won't take that long for that purpose to unfold, you'll see. In fact, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag right now, and I'll mention on this wall over here, you'll see that we have these, uh, these four banners, and we're going to move the camera over there so you can see them. And you can see from left to right, you've got love God, then love others, and then impact your world, and remember your first love. And, uh, you know, some of you may, may, may remember when we first put those up, uh, you know, those, those four steps represent the process of becoming a mature Christian, stripped down to nuts and bolts. You know, obviously there's, you know, there's layers built upon that and, you know, on these, on these four points. But this is the, the maturation, maturation process of the believer stripped down to nuts and bolts. Now, uh, beyond that, though, there's a lot of different aspects of the Christian walk that will take place within each of these four steps as you walk them out. And then also during the transition between each of those, things will happen, you know, because like we talked about last week, there are spiritual seasons of life. And yes, each of those four steps in spiritual growth are overarching seasons themselves in which you'll find many aspects of growth within the Christian walk, but you'll have many seasons, M-I-N-I, many seasons, little micro-seasons in, involved in those four steps. Um, because you'll find there are many aspects of growth in the Christian walk. And so these four steps are taken from Scripture. You know, uh, Matthew 22, Jesus gives us the, the two greatest commandments. The first one is, uh, if you'll remember, is uh, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, now, the first step on the wall you saw was love God. Now, that's the simplified version of what Jesus commanded, that, that greatest commandment. And so, uh, <clears throat> you can see that right there in that first, which is the greatest commandment to us from God, we are accomplishing the very first step in the growth of, uh, in, the, in our Christian growth. And so, that is uh, very encouraging to me, that God is accomplishing more than one purpose in us at a time. And so, uh, that makes it a little... Uh, easier for us uh, when we understand that. And then the second step, which is love others, Jesus gave the second, he said the second greatest commandment is like the first, which is uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see then that the second uh, step in this process is the second commandment, the second greatest commandment. And so again, uh, God is accomplishing more than one purpose in us at a time. And so then, you know, when you look at the first step in learning to love God, you know, we find that he loves people. His command is for us to love people as well. And so 
So specifically, we're to love them as we love ourselves, and that covers the first two steps. And so if you love yourself, you know, when you moved over into that second step and you realize that if you love yourself enough to get yourself saved by saying out loud that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, it stands to reason then that you would understand that you should stand as a witness to others around you that they should do the same because you want them to be saved as well and that showing love to them is to talk to them about that as the Spirit leads, of course. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus tells us, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And that's where we get the third step, impact your world. Be an influence for Jesus with the people you come into contact with. And then the last step on the wall that we looked at, remember your first love, is taken from chapter, Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus told the church at Ephesus that they had left their first love. And so we need to be vigilant in this Christian walk not to lose sight of God. Because he said, you've left your first love, remember from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works. Okay, we've talked about that in great depth in the past, but we're not getting into that now. But you can see then that that last cycle, remember your first love, it, or the last cycle, excuse me, the last step, it cycles back in on itself to the very first step, which is love God. Remember your first love cycles back to love God. And we start over again. Because then there's, you, you understand there's always more of God to love. He is infinite. So there is always more of him to discover, more of him to love. And after that, then there's always more people to love in our lives. And after that, then there are always more ways to impact our world because we encounter more people. And so, so you see how this, this cycle goes around and around, but each time we go around in it, we have grown a bit more. And in, in, in uh, you know, it's, it's just very interesting how God designed it to be that way. You know, he did design the process to work in this way. And this is why it's so, it, this is so important for us to talk about. See, we live in a country where there is a big presence of churchianity. And I first came across that term uh, from a Christian publication called The Midnight Call. And the editor was the one who kind of coined that. And, and it's, it's a very, uh, it's a concept you know, by that concept, he means every person who claims to be a follower of Christ falls into this category of churchianity. And uh, we understand, then, of course, that not everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ actually is a follower of Christ. Remember, Jesus said, uh, you know, not all who call me Lord, Lord, will will see the kingdom of heaven. Not, I can't remember exactly how he, he said that, but... but uh, you know, we can look that up, see if we can find that. But anyway, uh, you, when we talk about churchianity, you have most likely interacted with a lot of people who claim to belong to Christ, and you've probably seen a lot of them on Facebook, Twitter, or in online articles or Christian publications and things like that. But of, of the people that you have interacted with that claim to be a Christian, after watching how they behave at home or on the job, can you see by the way they live that they are making a solid effort to actually follow what Jesus taught? Would you say that the majority of them do that? 
Or would those who regularly live for God fall into the minority? This has been the problem from the beginning of the church age. Since Jesus ascended to the Father, the Bible talks about it all over the place, be actually being serious about God, being serious about following Jesus. And, you know, Jesus, Jesus gave a pretty, a pretty clear test. You know, he said, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. That's a litmus test for, from him, is that he, if he can see that you're following his commandments, that means to him that you love him. As many of you know, I was raised in church, and I came to Jesus at a young age, and like most Christians, I went to church, and I enjoyed parts of the services that went on there, but as far as my growth as a Christian was concerned, I pretty much just relied on what the pastor taught on Sunday morning, if that. Monday through Saturday, I didn't really concern myself too much with spiritual things. Not that I wasn't aware of God, but I just wasn't doing much in my walk with him. I just kind of went on with life, not really understanding that life was already happening around me. And after I graduated high school, then I started working at this department store. And at that store, they, they made you take your mandatory 15-minute break every two hours. In fact, they got mad at you if you didn't. And, you know, during that break, I would get frustrated because there really wasn't much to do. A lot of times the break room was empty. It wasn't because I, I uh, you know, it wasn't for lack of being lazy because at the time I was, uh, you know, pretty lazy. But it was that there was nothing to do in there. It was like, I had to sit here for 15 minutes. There's nothing to do. You know, so I was like, what? This is driving me crazy. You know, I would just, I, I would just sit there gnawing on a stick of gum, staring at the wall, waiting for my time to be up. And, you know, one day uh, at home, on my way to work, as I was heading out the door, I spotted a little green New Testament, you know, one of the, the, the Gideon Bibles, you know, little uh, Gideon New Testament. And, you know, so I grabbed it, and, and I thought, uh, I just stuck it in my back pocket, and I thought, well, I'll just read, I'll read this during my 15-minute break. And at first, it didn't affect me too much, but I, I kept with it, I kept doing it. You know, I figured that at least I was punching a time clock with God. I could at least say, well, I read the Bible today, you know. Um, there was nothing really else to do. And so uh, after about two weeks or so of doing this, you know, whenever I was there, some of what I was reading started to affect my heart. I sensed that it was affecting my heart. God's word began to change my outlook on some things. And then gradually, more and more, I started to look forward to break time because I was going to fellowship with God. There's a principle of spiritual growth that one of my teachers talked about. It's, it's when you're trying to get a plant to be able to survive the burning summer heat. That's especially relevant here in central Texas. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned something along that line about, about plants and the roots and stuff um, pretty recently, I think. And, you know, you want to water the plant in such a way that its roots go down deep into the soil after the moisture that's further down, deeper in the soil. Because plants that have a shallow root system get scorched when the summer sun shines on them because it's too intense and they don't have that root in themselves to pull up that coolness and that moisture from underneath. And, you know, as this teacher taught on that, I began to understand that that's what that time in that department store break room was doing for me. Reading the word during those 15-minute breaks was allowing the word to go deeper into my heart than it ever had before. 
than it ever had before. It was going beyond that surface level of head knowledge and it was now beginning to take root in my heart and become heart knowledge like we talked about before. It's just I know that I know. You know, I'm fully convinced in my heart this is God's word and this is truth. And my friends, that's when it becomes more and more real. That's when it becomes alive in you. That zeal for God's word is what gives Christians an advantage when they are living their lives to please God. So, all that being said, now we can get into this. Where we are right now, I felt in my heart it was the proper time to do something a little different and just read through the words of Jesus together and take some time to teach straight out of the Bible. Here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is being followed by multitudes of people from all over the region. This is very early in his ministry, so not even his disciples are too familiar with how he does things yet. They're still getting used to him. And I want you to keep that in mind as we, as we start to go through this, starting here in the beginning of chapter 5. Verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that word poor, the phrase poor in spirit there, it, it deals with a humble mindset. Humility is really what he's talking about here when we, when we dissect it in the Greek. So verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is a word we don't hear too much of in our modern day vernacular. Meekness has to do with strength through self-control. Strength that comes through self-control. That's meekness, okay? Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Notice that all these verses are dealing with how we interact with God. So this passage then would fall under love God. Falls under that first that first step. Love God. Okay, verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So now, now, the first thing is to understand that he's not talking about just any kind of persecution. He's talking about persecution that comes into our life for his sake. Because we are speaking his words, we are following in his steps, we are doing his actions. That is the type of... Um, that, that, that is the type of persecution that we can rejoice and be glad about when we, when we are persecuted for those things. 
Okay, I can't rejoice if I'm being persecuted because I'm living for me. Okay, that's not appropriate. Jesus says it's for his sake, when, when you're persecuted for his sake. And so he makes it plain that we will have persecution as we live for him. But he also commands us to be joyful. Not because of the persecution, but because of our reward in heaven, he said. In other words, look ahead. Don't look at the wind and the waves crashing around you, but look past them and fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the reward. And other things besides that he will give you. So I want 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 you to take note of something here. He's talking about when people specifically are saying bad things about you. He says rejoice. Now, he's not saying that when someone cusses you out because you're a Christian that you're supposed to lift up your hands right there in front of them and say, praise God, I rejoice because of my reward in heaven. The person would think that you're a little crazy and that wouldn't help to win them to Christ. No, what he means is in the midst of persecution, maintain your joy. Look at what he says in the very next verse. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, in a lot of Bibles, verses 12 and 13 are separated by a little sentence explaining things or or whatever, you know. And uh, they do that because they're assuming that Jesus was changing gears, changing thoughts. And in a way he was, but he, at the same time, the thoughts still connected to the previous verse. I used to think that Jesus was changing the subject, but he's still talking about interacting with people in verse 13. Have you ever seen the Christian that is fine as long as everything is going their way, but as soon as trouble comes, they lose their joy? They lose their saltiness. Because Jesus just said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor... Be salty. They lose their salt. And I'm talking about the grumpy kind of saltiness. And, you know, we're, we're talking about a saltiness that Jesus is talking about. You know, and I've been that Christian in the past that's lost my saltiness. Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, what's it good for? What's it doing? What's, what, it's lost its purpose now. Being able to maintain the joy of the Lord in the midst of persecution, maintains your saltiness. And it, it gives people a taste of the God who loves you. The words that taste and see the Lord is good. We are his ambassadors in the earth, so then we ought to, we ought to have his taste then. You know, I know it sounds weird, but we're talking figuratively here. The word says in Nehemiah chapter 8, the, Lord, the joy of the Lord... Is your strength. Maintain an attitude of joy when people persecute your beliefs and after that, after you have done that, when they look to see if their words did damage to you, instead of seeing you fall apart, they will see joy and strength in you. You'll still be salty. And they'll get that taste and they'll see that the Lord you serve is good. And that teaching, then, he just gave, falls under the love others step of the growth process. See how he shifted from love God right into love others. 
Because when we first started reading this, I mentioned that this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So he's telling this to brand new believers. He's telling this to people who had just started following him. He says, you are the salt of the earth. So then just being a believer then qualifies you as the salt of the earth. In the next verse, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you ever wonder why people hold Christians to a higher standard? It's because they want to see if what we do matches up with what we say. If people know we're Christians, our light is shining. They've been made aware of that light and they're watching now. If our works are good, Jesus said they will glorify our Father in heaven. If our works are not good, they'll usually make that as an excuse not to believe. Because, ah, I knew you guys were hypocrites. I don't have to listen to what you have to say. That argument is not justified, but they, they believe it is. Now, did you notice that we have immediately shifted now into impact your world? We have gone straight from love others into impact your world. It's amazing how these steps flow into one another, isn't it? Verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, One jot or one tittle, that's the tiniest little mark in the Hebrew Bible he's talking about. Not one jot jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And Jesus fulfilled the law through his his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, Shall be called least. Excuse me. Shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's a whole other teaching in that that we're not going to get into right now. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not murder." And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, that means empty head, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Jesus talked about hell quite a bit. Beware of people who teach that we can do any old thing we feel like and still make it to heaven. Next verse. Just the beginning. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, now now hold, hold, hold on just one second here. He, okay, so again, he's not changing thoughts here. This is connected to the previous verse. He says, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, that means for this reason. What reason? The reason that if you say fool, you'll be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar 
and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. From my personal study, I believe the context is, is that Jesus is implying that this is in the case of a person who, is, who has done something against their adversary. They are in the wrong and they need to agree so they don't get... Uh, so, not, so that they don't get thrown into prison. But uh, you'll have to discern that on your own because I don't uh, have a whole lot of scripture to back that up. That's just my opinion. Verse 7, 27, excuse me. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, typically... Adultery is defined as doing husband and wife activities with a person other than your spouse. And in a narrow sense, that is correct. But in the Old Testament, the earliest mention of this sin of adultery is when God calls the Israelites adulterers because they had been offering worship to other gods. Adultery, then, has to do with taking something that is reserved for one and giving that special thing to another. That's why Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her, there is a specific type of look that is reserved for your spouse alone, if you have a spouse. Jesus is instructing us to be mindful of this. Be careful how we look at others, where we put our eyes. Be careful what we think about. Notice that we're still on impact your world, though, because your spouse, if you have one, is part of your world. Amen. Let's read on. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, thank the Lord that people didn't take what Jesus said here literally. We'd have Christians walking around with eye patches and prosthetic hands. We understand he's speaking figuratively about the sins in our lives. Because he just got done talking about specific sins, murder and adultery. So then this applies to all sins. So, you know, uh, Satan tempts people along lines that they specifically are susceptible to. He's been keeping tabs on us for a long time and he knows which sins appeal to who. You know, one of my teachers at Ramah was talking to us along this line and he asked this question. He said, how many of you know that after you've, you've given someone authority over something, if you try to take that authority back, you're going to have a fight on your hands? And then he told us a story about a time he took his little tod- toddler son, little, you know, just a little tyke, to the grocery store. And you know, his son was old enough to walk, but at the store, uh, he and his wife had always put the, him in the grocery cart. So uh, his feet had never actually touched the floor of the grocery store. 
But this one time he went, and he didn't have his wife with him, and he was in a hurry, so he thought, well, I don't have time to get a cart. I'll just let him walk, and he'll be fine. Well, as soon as he set his son down, he said it's instant chaos. He's chasing this baby all over the place because things that had always been out of reach now were suddenly within his grasp. And he's grabbing everything and throwing things, you know, throwing stuff out in the aisles and, you know, running to here, running to there. And he can't keep up because he's making messes everywhere. And he says he realized I made an error in judgment. And he said the next time that he went to the store, he's like, we're going to put a stop to this. I'm putting him in the cart. Well, when he tried to put his son in the cart, suddenly there's a struggle. His son didn't want to go in the cart. Whereas before, he didn't care. Now he cares. Why? Because any time you try to take authority away from someone where they once had authority, you're going to have a fight on your hands. And it's the same with your flesh. It will not want to yield when you begin to make an effort to part with old behaviors. Jesus is not talking about your physical eye or your physical hand. He's talking about sinful lifestyles that have been in place for 1, 5, 10, 15 years. Could be, could be less than that, you know. I mean, depends on how long it takes for those things to take root in our life. But they've been there long enough that if you remove them, you will notice that they're gone. It's the same as that you would notice a missing eye or a missing hand. Something's missing here. Oh yeah, it's that old lifestyle I removed. Romans 8.13 talks about putting to death the deeds of the body. The flesh, it's talking about the flesh. Because remember, Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's why Paul said he put the flesh under. He trained his body. Nope, we're not doing that. In time the body wanted to do something sinful, nope, we're not doing that. Not going to do it. Amen. Moving on here. Verse 31. Jesus says, Furthermore, or in addition to, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you know that these verses have been misused. People always get into trouble when they lift a verse out of its setting. The context is this. Jesus starts, out, starts talking about divorce by saying, furthermore. That means Like I said, in addition to, in addition to what? In addition to what he was just talking about in his teaching about lustful looks. That means the lustful looks he was just warning people about were connected to the specific divorces he just brought up. Apparently in that time, there was a problem with men giving looks that were reserved for their wife to other women. And eventually that led them to divorcing their wives specifically because they wanted to marry another woman after looking at her lustfully. Later in chapter 19 of Matthew, 
Some Pharisees asked Jesus why in the law Moses gave a command that a man could give his wife a notice of divorce and send her away. And Jesus corrected them and he said, Moses gave you a concession, not a commandment, a concession that you could divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. The hardness of their hearts. Jesus was dealing with some people who weren't willing to do right by their wives. Because they were in the habit of yielding to their flesh. Now, I'm not saying that every woman was doing right by her husband. I'm just saying that some teachings you come across in the Word are pertinent to that specific thing he's talking about. Or the times that he ministered in, or the specific issue that he was dealing with at the time. But we understand from what he's saying here that whether divorce is right or wrong has to do with the motive Behind the divorce. Talking about divorce, people love to quote that verse in Malachi where God says he hates divorce. And it's true, God hates divorce. That's why he says in the verse right before that, let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. And he ends that thought by saying, because I hate divorce. He doesn't say that divorce is never an option. He says to treat your spouse right so that there will be no need for divorce. Because these guys Jesus was talking to were divorcing their wives because they wanted to marry another woman just so they could sleep with her. Well, you can see how that can turn into a deadly cycle. Because they thought they had found a loophole in God's law. Why? Because they wanted to yield to their flesh. But Jesus told them they were committing adultery. Why? Because they were dealing treacherously with their wives. That's a, that's a, that's a treacherous thing because, you know, marriage vow is, is serious. It's a, a marriage covenant is two people saying, I'm going to, I will do this and this and this and this for you. Well, one of the primary things that a man is supposed to do is provide and protect. He's not protecting his wife if he's betraying her by looking lustfully at another woman. So they were dealing treacherously with their wives. They're taking their marriage vows too lightly. We can just know this thing. We can just, I can just give you a certificate of divorce and move on. But to God, a vow is a serious thing. And that chapter I quoted from about how God hated divorces in, or hates divorces found in Matthew, or Matthew, excuse me, Malachi 2, if you want to write that down, look that up. Now as we begin to wrap this up, I want you to notice how Jesus so seamlessly transitions from, from talking about marriage vows to vows made to God. Look down here in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. He's talking about himself there, by the way. He's the great king. Verse 36. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Again, he's addressing, he's addressing oaths or vows that people would make to God. The bottom line of this one is simple. Talk is cheap. People still make promises to God today, but God knows the future. 
when a person makes a vow, an oath, promise to God, he already knows whether they're going to follow through with it or not. So essentially, Jesus is saying, be real with God. And by extension, man, be real. Tell it like it is. If a, command, uh, a, a, excuse me, a commitment, uh, if a commitment arises that you don't plan on sticking to, strike while the iron's hot and say no. Can't do that. I knew a, a guy who worked for the sheriff's department back in California, and he told us one time, he took aside some of his younger guys, and he said, I'm letting you know that the word no is a valid answer to people's questions. And then he started rattling off some hypothetical things that makes you think, I wonder if someone asked him, you know, can, 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 I, can, I, can I borrow your credit card? No. Can I sleep on your couch? No. Can I keep my stuff in your lawn? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, I bet you someone asked him those things. If something comes up that you say, that you would say yes to, make sure you follow through with it. That's what Jesus is saying. Let your yes be yes. Your no, no. He was brutally honest with us, wasn't he? He's made it very clear what he expects. But really, his commands set us free from darkness. Amen? Let's finish this chapter up, shall we? Down to verse 38. It says, Jesus is still speaking. He says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now see, we're still on, right till we get down to that last verse, we, have, we were on impact your world. Did you see that? This is how you impact your world. And he's not saying to be a doormat. You know, you can, you can, you can draw up uh, boundaries for people who have used and abused you in the past, but what he's talking about is how you react in the moment when someone does take advantage. You impact your world that way. Stay salty. Um, so, this last verse, therefore you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He puts us in remembrance of who? Father God. That's your last step in that process. Remember your first love. The Father. And even though on the surface that command to be perfect seems out of reach, we can get stuck on that. Jesus makes sure to remind us that the perfect one, the, the, the one that we're supposed to look like is the Father. 
He puts himself into a close relationship with us. And a lot of people don't, well, I don't know what the Father looks like. Well, Jesus told the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Anything that Jesus, the way that Jesus walked, the way he talked, the way he presented himself, is exactly the way the Father would. So he he puts himself into a close relationship with us. Father is meant to be a relationship of closeness. Jesus said in verse 45 that God made his son, makes his son, excuse me, makes the son, rise on the evil and on the good. God is kind-hearted because he's perfect. He understands that we're not going to get there overnight. That's why he gives us this process of growing up. Learning to love God, learning to love others, letting what we've learned impact the world around us, and always remembering our first love. Amen? Well, that's all I had for you today, so hopefully this was helpful to you. And so let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that guides us, that enlightens us, that fills our heart with truth, that enlarges our understanding. And I ask, Father God, that you help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to, help us to uh, cling to it. Help us to meditate on it, to get, to get it to take root deep down in our heart. We ask, Lord, that uh, as you open up opportunities for people to share their faith to other people, I ask, Lord, that you give them the words to say, that you lead them by your Holy Spirit, that you help them to be sensitive to what your Holy Spirit is saying so that we can uh, get the point across and not confuse ourselves, not confuse the people we're trying to win. But I thank you, Lord. I ask that you bless everyone, that you provide for all their needs. And I thank you and I praise you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week.